All right, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, so please turn there. In the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 555. This summer, we're kind of taking a, I don't know, maybe a 30,000-foot view of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're not drilling down into every single chapter, but we're kind of hitting some themes and some um, some higher points, and, uh, and we're touching upon some different themes. It's, it's an enigmatic, it's a puzzling uh, book that has a degree of, I don't know, sobering, brutal honesty uh, about life, the realities of life. Koheleth is the, is the writer. His name, uh, translated Ecclesiastes, simply means the one who gathers to teach. So it's the, it's the preacher, the teacher. Some refer to him as the, the pundit who, who assembles people to learn. And the, the, the way that he writes, sometimes he just leaves things in tension. Uh, he even drops in some, some sarcasm. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to follow. You even wonder, maybe he's overstating things. We definitely will see that uh, this week and in this chapter. He does that for effect, I think. Ecclesiastes takes a deeper dive into uh, life's questions. Really questions like, does life have meaning uh, at all? And it reflects, of course, upon the meaning of wisdom Something that we need to navigate life well, regardless of what stage, regardless of what degrees, regardless of what resources and all of those things and where you're born and your circumstances. To have wisdom is to, from God, is to navigate life well. And we especially need that when we find ourselves in the throes of disappointment or struggle or in the face of injustices that we have wisdom about us. Life, he concludes, is vain. Not proud, uh, vain, not, not looking at yourself in the mirror, uh, vanity, but vain in the sense of, of fleeting. In fact, that word hebel, he says, it's, sometimes it's translated meaningless, meaningless. In, in our ESV, it's, it's vanity, vanity. It's to say that it is but a breath. Life that we discover is vain in the sense that it's fleeting and transient. And it's like, it's like a vapor, smoke. You, it's, a, it's a tangible thing, but as soon as you try to grasp it, it's gone. It's puzzling. You chase it, you won't capture it. It's, it's fleeting. The things of life are, are it's like a chasing, he says, after the wind. Every year, uh, I, I do bring greetings. We've uh, been in, in Michigan and in Iowa visiting family. It's our tradition each year to have a family reunion. And Chris's parents in particular, you'll see them this fall. They send their greeting. Every year we have a special trip. We have some traditions. One of them is we make a special trip on Saturday. It was yesterday morning to Marge's Donuts. Marge's Donuts all handmade. I don't know how early these people get up, but they make a lot of amazing donuts. It's something I kind of, you know, anticipate with, you know, ever increasing each day. I'm looking forward to Saturday when we go to Marge's the day before, the hour before, leaving the house, whoever goes and gets them, or maybe we sometimes go all together. I'm looking forward to the maple bacon donut. Some of you are looking at me weird. You're some of the same people who think pineapple belongs on pizza, and you're weird. I'm not weird, you're weird. The only thing I don't like about Marge's Donuts, they're just gone too fast. It's like they just, poof, they're gone. I get two, and, and, and even if I ate a whole bunch of them, it would be bad. It wouldn't really be fulfilling because my stomach would be upset. But I always eat two, and they're just gone like that. It's fleeting. Well, regardless of whether it's something despairing or something delicious, it too will vanish. Trying hard to find satisfaction in the... The life under the sun and things of creation alone is 
is fleeting. We come to some more human struggles and experiences here. It's almost hard to believe when we read this that it was written 3,000 years ago because it is so remarkably relevant to our experience. There's these reflections on human joys and emotions and struggles. The writer has tried things. He's taken us down some dead-end roads. He's taken us down the road of pleasure and of work and learning and education and alcohol and comedy And it's not working. So let's continue on. Let me invite you to read in deference to God's word to stand, excuse me, as we read the whole of chapter four. Hear this. This is God's word. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold, the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either a son or a brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. There are... Two, excuse me, verse nine, are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him a three-cord Threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, born poor. I saw all the, the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all whom he led. Yet those who come after, come later, will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. You may be seated. This is God's word. Let's ask for God's help. Father, I pray that right now you would uh, guide us, that you would guide our time by your spirit, that you would be our teacher. We thank you for revealing yourself in your word. It is a gift. Help us to see it as such by faith for Christ's sake. Amen. A Harvard political science uh, expert, Robert Putnam, he's a professor, published a book a number of years ago called Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone, the subtitle of the book, The Collapse and Revival of American Community, where he makes a, a kind of a simple observation. We once used to be a society where we bowled in leagues, usually after work, but that's no longer the case. It's kind of a Uh, A seemingly simple observation, a a phenomenon symbolizing, though, a significant change in society. 
He surveyed the, in, in detail Americans, Americans changing behavior over the decades, showing how we've become increasingly disconnected. We're disconnected from family, from friends, from neighbors, from social structures, whether it's the PTA or churches or clubs or political parties or, or bowling leagues. Yes, he highlights many statistics that illustrate how we've become increasingly isolated and lonely in our society. It's, it's, the only thing scary about it is that it was written 20 years ago. And something tells me it hasn't gotten any better. Well, in fact, they actually came out with, in 2020, a revised version of his book. It was primarily focused on the impact of social media on that phenomenon and that problem of societal loneliness. In 2018, remember, the UK who separated from the EU, many predicted that that would be a, a problem for them, even isolating. But there was a problem even deeper already underfoot in the UK. The prime minister at that time, in 2018, established and appointed a minister of loneliness because there was such a pandemic, an epidemic of loneliness. I don't know, that's kind of a tall order for one person's job. You know, uh, I can't even imagine But think about it. Think about how we should even be writing another version of this book and some of the same observations post-COVID at some point and thinking about all of the ways that social connections are possible via technology. And yet there's these unprecedented levels of alienation and isolation, even suicide and depression. I think that this chapter, although it doesn't seem at first glance that there's any You know, connectedness, it seems a bit random. That's not uncommon for Ecclesiastes. But if we were to trace a thread, if we were to see a common uh, denominator, I think it's this. Because there's there's all these evils that are observed in that in this chapter that we just read. And that is true. And it seems like there are evils that that nothing can seem to write or fix. We don't understand. Yet we know for certain that all of those problems are compounded all the more in loneliness when people are isolated. So here are my headings. You see them listed there in the order of service. There's tragedy and oppression in the opening three verses, envy and ambition, popularity and isolation, and then lastly, an observation on community and coalition. So these first three verses, this... There's this tragic example. He doesn't even need to enumerate what all is involved and what all is in view because I think the reader then and even now, we get it, right? People have power and influence and they oppress other people, right? We see this on all variety of levels in the family and in community. It's a tragedy. And people have different reasons for it, right? And people have different motivations, Sometimes it's just the sheer, pure evil of contempt and feeling as if you're superior to someone else. There's other times that oppression happens and injustices that are maybe somewhat unintentional or mistakenly taking place. Regardless, what makes it worse here in verse one, the writer observes, the teacher says, there's verse one, no one to comfort them. So it's compounded, it's worse, because there is no relational uh, support, a social support. The thought of such an evil and tragedy uh, drives him to overstate his case. He's communicating the the despairing dynamic. It's better to not even be born. 
It's better to be dead, verse 2. It's not even already to be born, verse 3, than endure this. It's a harsh reality. And, and we could say, that's just the way it is, right? But we don't, and we can't, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't just say, when we observe it, we say, well, that's just part of life. No, when we observe this type of thing, we can't just be passively observing. I think one pastor put it well when he describes Christians, we as followers of Christ, should be first responders to oppression and loneliness in all of the forms that it takes. And, and we, we should be reaching out and, and, and seeking those people, not avoiding. And yet there's another evil under the sun that he observes picking up in verse four, and that is the ambition towards work. And it's a selfish ambition. Verse four, it's driven by what is the engine here that he mentions all the toil. It's driven by man's envy of his neighbor. And so it's, this is the, the vanity, the fleeting nature of working by way of, you know, jealousy as a motivator. Work, of course, is a good thing. It happened before the fall. And it does enrich, and, and there is fulfillment in our work, but work that is done with selfish ambition to try to get ahead, ahead of others. C.S. Lewis, I know I'm on a long streak here of quoting Lewis, but in Mere Christianity, he puts it so well. He talks about the fact that pride in its very essence is competitive. And he says this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. Envy is is a dark thing. We call it one of the deadly sins. It's competitive. It's so selfish. It's, It's in all of our lives. If we're humble and honest enough to admit, we have so many temptations, right? Toward this, I think of social media. We look at people's lives as it's portrayed there, which is not reality. But we say to ourselves, their life seems so much easier and, and more wonderful than mine. Last week, last Sunday, I was, you know, in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa uh, playing kickball, you know, with our family. And, and, uh, and you know, meanwhile, a, a glance at social media, I got a friend who's in Budapest you know, enjoying tours. I got another friend who's in the Mediterranean taking a cruise. I've got another friend who's mountain biking and whitewater rafting in Colorado. Oh, this is true. This is like totally legit. Like I've got some pretty well-to-do friends, obviously. One of them has a, a picture of a steak on a plate. Why would you post that on social media? Why would you? Why, why, I don't need to know that you're eating a filet mignon. It's only to say, look at what I'm about to eat. And you're definitely not. I should have posted a picture of that maple bacon donut for margins. It should not. You know what I'm talking about. Verse six, there's wisdom here. Let's look at it. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after wind. In other words, moderation. Right? It's better to have modest earnings and inner peace. I'm going to translate this. It's better to have modest earnings and inner peace than it is to have large gains and anxiety. Do we believe that? It's tough. 
Instead, we have not one hand, we have two hands grasping, grasping for more and more. And then he illustrates that, how, how far that can go. He illustrates it in two extremes. One is in verse 5, a folding of hands. In other words, a laziness saying, I'll never achieve it, so I might as well just kick back and, and not take any action. And then there's others, the, the other extreme in verse 7, which is to strive and strive and toil, endlessly, endlessly working, constantly busy, craving for more and more. That's isolating. It's, it's, it's the picture, of course, that we have with Ebenezer Scrooge, as one commentator put it. This, what's portrayed in verse 7 and verse 8, never satisfied with riches, constantly chasing it. Doesn't have to be riches, by the way. It's whatever your sports accomplishment is or your portfolio and your, you know, your, your, your position or whatever it is that you're, you're chasing by way of, of accolades. This is a man, the description of verse 7 and 8, commentator writes, is a man sitting in a restaurant. He has enough wealth to buy dinner for everyone in the restaurant, yet no one wants to sit with him. And that's okay because he doesn't want to sit with them either. Again, it goes back to the common thread here. Right? It's the compounding tragedy that whether it's comparison or envy or laziness or workaholism, they all have the capacity to isolate us from people, relationships, and community, even destroy us. Some of us need to ask the question, what is the root and what is the fruit of all my labor? Is it, is it, a, is it a selfish ambition or does it really help me serve the needs of my family and my community? Is it for the good of others? Or is it just for me? Comparison steals our joy. Comparison steals our joy. And the only antidote, by the way, to that envy is gratitude. And the gift of contentment. We heard it read from Philippians, right? That rare thing that's so elusive to us, contentment, which is so hard to come by, but to cry out to God and say, God, please have mercy on me and teach me, grow me in contentment for what you have given and provided, even if those circumstances, even if those challenges be difficult. We should be looking to Christ. Well, skipping down to verses 13 through 16, I think we see there a popularity and, again, this isolation. You could summarize verses 13 through 16 when he talks about this poor and wise youth and this old and foolish king who doesn't want to take any advice. You could summarize it to say this, and some of you can probably identify, it's lonely at the top. Even with all the the position and the praise, even, even with the, the strength that this person has in numbers, nevertheless, it is short-lived. It's a little bit difficult in those few verses to trace the connections between this elderly king and this up-and-rising youth. But essentially, it appears that we have someone who's coming from a lowly place who through wisdom becomes king, and that position is eventually lost to someone else. And you're popular and you're praised even by the multitudes, but then you're forgotten. So popularity 
is yet another one of those things that is hebel. It is, it is it's fleeting. It is vain. We learn here in Coalette's observation that political power, remember how in the opening verses, that power can be misused to oppress. But it can also be here very fleeting. People practice it, people pursue it, and it too is fleeting. Now, if you've been paying attention, you notice that I skipped over a few verses right in the middle. And that was purposeful. Because it sounds as if he's despairing. It sounds like he has, again, only the under the sun references and not the wisdom of God. But then this is where we see probably one of the few places in Ecclesiastes where he just drops a nugget of, of wisdom as a proverb. Not, 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 in, not in just a, a sarcastic way or, you know, or, or a despairing kind of uh, melancholy, but, but a truthful way that we can walk in, that we can appreciate. And it's, it's right here. Let me read it again. Beginning verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up again. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. When I was a, a kid, I actually enjoyed riding the, the school bus, the big cheese, we called it, in elementary school. I, I liked it uh, because there was a really cool kid in the back. His name was Zach, and he had a boom box. Kids, you have no idea what that is, but it runs off of, it runs off of D batteries and, uh, and has this thing called a cassette tape. And he was like the DJ of the school bus. And on the back, he had a playlist that was printed there, and you could request for 10 cents to have him play whatever song you wanted to. It involved a little more time because he'd have to rewind to find those particular songs. I mean, this was, he had to work for his keep, you know. This wasn't just a Spotify playlist, you know what I'm saying? I distinctly remember that it was one of those times where I actually understood the meaning of the lyrics. Unlike Run DMC, I actually appreciated the song, Lean On Me, right? It's a Bill Withers song and uh, Club Nouveau did a whole new rendition of it. You're probably already humming it in your mind. I just might have a problem that you would understand. We all need someone to lean on. When you're not strong, I will be your friend. I will help you carry on for, why? For it will not be long till I'm going to need someone to lean on. Let's come out just a bit here, right? Let's remember in the biblical narrative, in redemptive history, what did God do as we, as we received, recorded in the garden, in the, the manner of creation, it says in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created things. The skies, the oceans, the creatures, humanity. Each time, it is good. It is good. Humanity, the, the pinnacle of God's creation, it very good. But there is one point at which he says, not good. Does anyone recall? Genesis 2.18 says... The man was alone. And this is not good. I will make a helper suitable, a companion for humanity. This is, this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, enjoying and knowing community and wanting us who are made in his image to enjoy and to live and to function and survive in community, in relationship. Remember, 
And so in the spirit of that, obviously here in the text, there's this imagery of an ancient Near Eastern journey. It's not like, you know, planes, trains and automobiles. This is this is walking in dangerous places. This is where you would be susceptible. And what is it that a friend provides? What is it that a traveling companion provides here? There's just three dispelled out practical things. Being alone is not only sad, it's dangerous. And so what does it say here? The three things you're falling. If you fall down, you cannot get up sometimes without the help of another. You need warmth, right? If you're traveling under the stars of night, you're not staying at a hotel. You're staying, you know, in, in, a, in, a, sleep, in a sleeping bag uh, until, you know, later years in marriage when you're like, get off me. It's so hot. You know, it's a totally different story. But you, you get the you get the impression like people can actually survive off of the body warmth. The, the third one here is the protection against the enemy's attacks. But as much as this is true practically, I think this is also a picture of our journey even spiritually in life. That we need companions when we fail, when we make mistakes, when we find ourselves in guilt and shame. When we have, when we have fallen and we need support and encouragement, we need sympathy we need guidance. We need someone who loves us enough to say, here's the truth. You need to stop or you need to get up. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to put my arm around you and we're going to walk together. This should characterize us as a church family. We don't wait. We seek out the lonely. It's a give and take, of course. Some people say, well, no one's, no one's invited me over. No one sought me out. And no one's done this. It's a two-way street. And if you think that, and indeed it is, it, being isolated and lonely is a costly thing. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a painful, costly thing. Oh, but by the way, living in relationship and community is a costly, messy thing. I don't know how else to describe it. If you know what I'm talking about, I think you do. Proverbs 18. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. In other words, we need Faithful companions who will not leave and forsake us when danger or trouble or even failure comes. Another artist during that uh, cassette tape era, Sting, he has a great song that I love. You could say I lost my faith in science and progress. You could say I lost my belief in the holy church, organized religion. You could say I lost my sense of direction. He goes on to say I've lost my faith on the people on TV. I've lost my belief in our politicians. And he says you could say all of this and worse. But if I ever lose my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do. Some would say, Sting writes, I was a lost man in a lost world. Now, I don't ever I don't know exactly who he has in mind when he says I lost my faith in you, whoever it is that he has set his affections upon. 
Life is lost and not worthy living without that comforter. Don't be deceived in your comparing. Don't be deceived in envy. Again, those humble, honest moments that say, <clears throat> even in the midst, and I've walked with this through many, pe- many people, even in the happiest of marriages, in the, in the center of, uh, of, of a family that's lively and, and full, there can be loneliness. That feeling that you're not understood and that you're bearing things that others can't walk with you on. People can experience loneliness with or without certain circumstances. And we also know that deep down, we have failed other people. Our friends, our community, our family. You don't get to pick your family. You get to pick your friends, by and large. But you don't get to pick your family. It's kind of the church is too. I would pick you guys. I, 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 this is my family. And, and I, would, I, would, I would, most of you, be your friend. <laughs> You're easy to love. And I, I've needed you many times. Our family has desperately needed this family. And yet what unites us as a people is not a common cause, a common interest. It's not that we all have this this moral code of conduct that we all get together and make sure everyone is keeping on target with. What unites us is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Earthly companions are not enough. I don't know. I, I don't have to say this. People disappoint us. And even if they don't, they all die. Jesus Christ is the ultimate companion who will never leave you or me or forsake us. We know this because he he renounced his own self-interest. He emptied himself of of wealth. He, 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 He set aside and laid aside all the praises of heaven for the mockery of humanity and the pain. And he surrendered his own life. Talk about oppression. He was utterly abandoned and he was entirely innocent altogether. Jesus, in the name of love, came and died a lonely, miserable death on a cross so that our sins could be paid and covered. So that we could, he was alienated, echoing Psalm 122, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not 122, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's alienated from the Father so that we might be brought near and have communion with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has promised us if we would surrender, knowing our sin and knowing our failure, if we were to surrender in repentance and turn from that and trust Him by faith, He's offered life, new life. Thanks be to God. And even though he has ascended and is living, unlike our other dead friends, he is living and he has power and he has promised us a comforter in his spirit, a gift, a deposit, a counselor. Thanks be to God.
I'll close with reading Ephesians 2. Paul reminds the church in Ephesus, he says, hey, listen, remember when there was that time when you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of, of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Don't, and then, then my, my, my favorite phrase, but, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has, brought, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that we have unity. Thanks be to him. Let's seek him this day. Even as we think about our situation, our plight, our circumstances, the circumstances and the, 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 the trials of others, some of which we can't see, hidden behind the veil of fill in the blank, lies in social media, Friends, we, we, the people of God, the followers of Christ, should be seeking out and extending his love. Let's pray. Let's pray right now for contentment, you know? I know I need it. Join me. Lord, forgive us for our warped and self-centered desires. Would you give us new desires? Would you please help us to reflect the truth and the beauty of your kingdom and show forth to our good and faithful friend, a friend of sinners, Jesus. Lord, I pray you'd be merciful to cultivate in our community a love for you and a love for people. Lord, we, get, we, we, we find ourselves in, in sorrow thinking about the sober realities of what Ecclesiastes record here. The fact that so many people live in selfish and destructive ways because they don't know you and they don't know your love. Help us to be people who speak and live and walk and prioritize in that love. Many people live their lives in fear, fear of isolation and and even violence. I pray that you'd mercifully comfort those people in particular, people who are in harm's way because of deep, deep conflict, even war. We pray for Ukrainians who are separated from family and from country and pray you be merciful. You'd encourage the church in places where there's opposition and persecution. Would you cause them, guide them, comfort them that they might be persevering. Comfort those who grieve, Lord. I pray you'd comfort those who find themselves lonely. At times because they're unmarried, because they are widows or widowers, orphans, people who feel alone because they're trapped in addiction stuck in laziness. Lord, I pray you'd give people a humble boldness to engage with community. And you give us eyes, eyes to see oppression and loneliness that we might comfort others. Help us to identify those who need friends. But for every one of us, Lord, I pray that you remind us of the inexhaustible love of our heavenly father this very day. For we pray in Christ's name. Even now, as he taught his disciples to pray, saying to